don't really focus on any opportunities that are less than $5 million in revenue. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right. Everyone, today we have Tom Vellante, who is the CEO of Yapstone, which is a leading online payment service provider for global marketplaces and large vertical markets. They're on track to do over $20 billion in payment volume for 2017. Tom, how's it going? It's going fantastic. How are you? Doing well. So, Tom, first and foremost, I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I've been doing this, believe it or not, for 17 years Originally thought in 1999 it would be 18 months, two years at most, and I'd, I'd exit. But you know what happened in 2000, or maybe some on the phone uh, were not uh, were not working at that time. But the internet bubble happened in March, April of 2000. But it's been a it's been a great ride, and it's been constantly new challenges. We've gotten into new markets, and so it often feels like a new company to me, and not the same old thing, which is really really exciting. Got it. So how does your company work? I mean, you know, you work with some some big clients out there. I mean, just so people have a tangible idea of kind of how you guys work. Can you give me an example? Absolutely. So what we primarily do now, as you mentioned, is online payments and e-commerce solutions for some of the largest marketplaces in the world. So it's an incredible spot to be in. It's going to be well over a trillion dollars by 2020. And being partnered with a large marketplace gives you immediate access to thousands, hundreds of thousands of sellers and buyers, and you're in the middle of the transaction. So when you, for example, we don't do Uber, but when, you know, when, when you leave the Uber, it's a frictionless transaction, right? The transaction just happens when you, when you rent a, a vacation home, the thousands of sellers get paid. And so everything in between where we're actually doing from the onboarding of the seller typically do a automated onboarding where we're checking hundreds of data points on that seller to make sure it's not fraudulent because you're dealing with anonymous buyers and sellers. And so you have to make sure there's not some coercion fraud going on, collusion fraud on the on the buyer seller front. So there's a lot of things going on on the back end in terms of onboarding that merchant. It used to be that you could only get a merchant account. You know, you take three weeks and go to a bank and try to get try to get a merchant account, you had to be a real company. Well, in the marketplaces, you know, you basically have individuals that are selling a product or selling service. And so we have to underwrite those people as if they're, you know, businesses and make sure that they're, they're a safe actor in the marketplace. Got it. And so we're basically doing that and doing the payment processing and flow of funds to make sure everybody gets paid accordingly. And, and there are a lot of things that happen in payments. There's fraud and chargebacks and just dealing with a lot of the payment operations behind the scenes. Great. And where did the idea come from? I mean, payment processing strikes me as a really, really competitive space. So you know, I guess where did the idea come from and you know, why jump in something so competitive? So in my going way back in my 20s, I was in investment banking and private equity and then 
in the late nineties branched off and thought the, thought the internet would, uh, would actually turn into something and I should probably get involved in it. So I started angel investing and one of the companies I invested in was a company called core, which was really a uh, internet consulting firm. We built websites and did security database architecture. One of the things that kept on popping up was an easier way to get payment processing up and running. And at the time, PayPal was really the only thing that was getting any sort of traction out there. We decided to take a slightly different tact and look at vertical markets that had effectively the paper check as the primary source of payment. And we wanted to go deep into the vertical and rather than be a one-size-fits-all, create a tailor-made solution for that vertical market. We landed on the apartment market because apartments were almost all paper check by that. And even today, which is surprising, 75% of all of all rents are paid by paper check. So we formed a company, a division of Yapstone called Rent Payment, and we became the largest online provider of apartment rents. Uh, it sounds easy, but it wasn't. We had to basically configure a new form of who would pay the merchant fees because the landlords were certainly not willing to pay two to 3% of a thousand dollar rent. And the card association didn't look too highly on convenience fees to the renter. We eventually came to a, a solution with the card associations. And then not only that, it was even hard to sell free to these apartment owners because there was a, this is the way they'd always done business, you know, collecting a, a stack of paper checks and entering them manually into their software. And we created a, a layer of automation, which integrated seamlessly to their property management software, but more importantly, gave them a line item detail into who paid, what they paid for, was it rent, was it security deposit? Those two things go into different accounts, was it parking? And so gave them that middleware, which was just not available at all if they went to a traditional payment processor, they'd get a, a batch deposit and have a whole bunch of things deducted and have no idea what the payment was for. And so we realized that having that sort of industry-specific knowledge was was a real competitive advantage and also allowed us to have more of a profit margin than traditional processing. And, and this was before it was cool and called fintech, right? <laughs> it was just online payment processing. But we we really went in with it more of a notion that we're a technology solution provider that and more of a software play that happens to get paid through payments versus a SaaS model. Makes sense. And so you come from, I mean, you went to you went to Yale, right? How dare you? No, I went to uh, <laughs> I went to I went to Princeton. Oh, Princeton, Princeton. Oh, yeah, yeah my bad. <laughs> I was close somewhat, but anyway. Uh, so you went to Princeton, and then you know you went into private equity. I mean, how does how does a guy uh, you know from private equity and kind of uh, you know finance background, financial background, learn how to bring an entire team together to learn how to uh, from a technical standpoint put it all together and make it all work? Well, I didn't. I had no idea really what I was doing, to tell you the truth, in the beginning. And, you know, when you when you go to a good school and go into investment banking, you have, a, I would say, an elevated view of, of what you can do and somewhat entitled. I'm not sure I would hire myself as a 20 something, to be to be honest with you, but just given just given the experience of, you know, it was the late 80s, early 90s when I got out. And the one thing I learned, you learn quickly uh, when you go off on your own is that you're really not entitled to anything, right? You're not entitled to success. Your company's not. It really doesn't become about you. It becomes about, you know, how how can you be helpful? You know, how can you be helpful to your customers and your partners? How can you be helpful to the people, the company, you know, the employees that that join you? And it's funny because I was I was just recently listening to an interview 
um, with Harrison Ford and, and his advice to people wanting to enter into the, the film industry. And he said exactly that when you, when you just kind of remove yourself, it's not about you. It's about how can you be helpful and provide solutions and help people grow their careers. When you remove yourself from it, it really becomes a, you know, a whole different proposition. And so to answer your question, how I did it, I really learned very much on the job and I wasn't planning on operating a company. The, the five companies that I angel invest invested in really Yapstone was the only one that really started taking off. And, uh, I was having fun operating. I was, I was having fun seeing the the month to month growth. And I just kind of landed at the, you know, I had someone running it in the very beginning. And then I, I ended up, uh, you know, taking it over because I was having fun building it. How does that happen? So, I mean, you angel invest in something. Do you just, you know, let's say, uh, maybe a year into it, you're like, Hey, this looks fun. Uh, can I just run it? So how does that work? Yeah. So I, I was the, I was the majority owner and the person that was running it just really didn't, didn't want to run it anymore. And I just, you know, it, it almost evolved to the, you know, to the point where I was, spending more time doing that than looking for new investments. And so it, it, it evolved over probably a period of after the first six months, the other individual running it, I I start, I just started getting more and more involved and, and really took to, you know, going out and trying to build new customers, going to conferences, you know, really getting embedded in, in the industry and learning and constantly going to, you know, the markets that we were focused on, we were laser focused on the apartment market in the very beginning. Uh, and we, we branched off into vacation rentals and, you know, now sharing economy, but you know, I, it wasn't, it wasn't one day where I just decided it just, it just evolved. And, and we really only raised a very small amount of money in the beginning, just some friends and family, and then didn't raise any money for 11 years and we were profitable after I think year two, uh, modestly profitable and uh, just enough to keep the lights on and keep growing. And then, uh, then, we, then we raised, uh, we've raised a significant amount of money. Got it. Okay. And so how, I mean, in the first two years, I mean, getting to that profitability right out the gate was, is, is pretty impressive. I mean, what did you guys do to grow? Was it lots of marketing? Was it heavy on sales? Like what did you guys do there? Yeah, it was not a lot of marketing. It was, it was heavy sales. It was, you know, really hand to hand combat, you know, putting up trade booths and, you know, chasing down those leads and going to every single conference we go to. It was, it was finding lists, refining, refining the sales pitch. You know, I think, you know, it certainly wasn't for any sort of online digital marketing at all. It was really, it was really traditional war room. And I think what we, what we did do a good job of was really being proactive and it was almost building a company the traditional way. It had just happened to be a, you know, an online, an online business. But, um, I think the fact that we were really focused on the industry, you know, lent uh, in, and the industry itself and in multifamily is pretty insular. And so, you know, even if you say something in the wrong term, they'll immediately shut off. Like if you call a renter, a tenant versus a resident, They'll almost stop listening to you. So it's literally it's literally those types of nuances that were really really valuable. Got it. So I mean, what what tips do you have for entrepreneurs looking to build their first sales organization? Because it sounds like you kind of had to figure this out from the ground up too. I'm just wondering how everything looked for you and kind of uh, yeah. Again, what kind of tips do you have? Yeah, I would not depend on the business just coming to you by you know buying Facebook ads and those sorts of things. I mean, that's all, that's always important, obviously, but it's, it's really getting, um, 
you know, really getting your hands dirty because, you know, you as an entrepreneur, if you don't know how to sell, if you don't know how to sell your product, it's very difficult to impart that knowledge and, and motivation upon your sales team. So, you know, I would, I would very strongly suggest, even if you have a technology bent and you're mostly on the technology side as a founder entrepreneur, I would make sure you also knew how to sell it as well. Great. That's powerful. And backing up a second, I think there's uh, before 99, I think uh, from what I looked, you were running some kind of, uh, you were running a firm that was doing really well and then everything just kind of went to crap. Can you speak to that? Uh, in terms of, in terms of my own company and the angel investing? No, I don't think it was. Uh, so it was maybe a, some kind of consulting firm that you were running and then maybe the dot com, uh, the dot com bust hit and then you were affected by that. Oh, right. right. That was the internet. Uh, consulting firm exactly so that was that was called core and i invested in 97 and a friend of mine was at emi music he had hired these guys and i went to college with the guy at emi he said these 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 guys are doing all of the big entertainment companies websites and digital rights management and security database architecture he's like you got it you got to talk to these guys and see if you can invest I invested on the on the premise that my friend would go in and, and come as a C, as, as CEO. It was a ten person consulting firm, and they were just killing it. And so we invested, and you know we went from a little over a million in revenue to like thirty five million. It was insane. Wow. And you know it was just when people were saying not how much, but when can you build this site? And it was just really the heyday of and you know it was. Uh, Seventy-five million dollars in nineteen ninety-nine. I'm like, you, you're crazy. You know, we were just drinking our own Kool-Aid, right? And then in early two thousand, uh, we had big customer concentration. We, you know, five customers made up most of our revenue. They all pretty much canceled at the same time, so it went to zero, which was extraordinarily unfortunate at the time. But also, you know, as they say, you know, you learn the most through your failures. And so, really, what I wanted was. You know, I took from that that I wanted, you know, a business that that scaled and consulting doesn't scale. It's great business, but you can't double revenue without, you know, significantly increasing the number of consultants you hire. You can do that. And so we're seeing this massive growth, albeit from a small base in the beginning, without really having to hire too many more people. And so I love that component of of the business. Learned a lot from the consulting side. Yep, totally feel you on that one. So you talked about something a second ago. I mean, you had five clients, right? And then everything, you know, they just all canceled and revenue went to zero, right? Yep. So right now, I mean, with the AppStone, do you have anything like that where you know you have a client that is a large percentage of your customer base? Not nearly as bad, but we certainly have certain marketplaces just because of their growth component and you know and size probably make up more than what we'd like and it's a good problem but nonetheless it's something you have to have to keep your eye on constantly and be in front of it and i am you know more sensitive than most because i know it can happen right and so you have to you know we are already doing a lot on our product development and roadmap to make sure, and also acquisition strategy to make sure that that doesn't creep up even more. Great. Okay. I mean, you've talked about sales, you know, growing organizations, but um, you know, one thing I've also noticed is that you're very people focused as well. So, a question for you would be: How do you go about creating and developing relationships with key players in your space, or just people that you want to get to know? Yeah. So, you know, one of the one of the powerful things that I've done, and I think other entrepreneurs 
should certainly do is, is never hesitate or be afraid to pick up the phone to just about anybody, right? And you're always surprised at who will who will return your call. And in fact, a lot of times, CEOs of big companies will <laughs> return your call more than more than folks more than folks below them. And just always reach out if you're curious. Go to a conference if you're curious. You know, try to contact people that you admire in your in your particular industry. It's you know, we still deal in a world of people, right? At least, at least today we do. <laughs> and so uh, your relationships are so paramount, especially if you're, or if you're really in this for the long term, developing those personal relationships, not just a, not just a meeting in a, in a boardroom with another company, but if you, if you can somehow, you know, parlay that into, into dinners or into user conferences where you have, you know, where you have a, a great dinner amongst your top, you know, 20 customers, those, those types of things are so powerful. Yep. hundred percent. I mean, I talk about all the time dinners with customers or dinners with, you know, just other entrepreneurs or marketers that you want to meet that takes it, you know, 10,000 X beyond what you can do with online. So love that you say that I preach it all the time and just building on, on people even more. I mean, it's something I've been talking about, uh, even when I, when I speak at conferences, more and more about people and well, guess what? You hired a chief people officer. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, she's 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 amazing. I'm not going to say her name because I don't want people to recruit her. No, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she is amazing. Deb Tannenbaum is is incredible. And I realized that when we got to right now, we have a little over 500 people. When we got to 100 and multiple offices, uh, is 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 really the time where you can start the culture can get away from you. Like there are people that are being hired that are sort of potentially not in, that's not someone that you would hire, which is an un, not, not a comfortable place to be. And I saw that we were, we were starting to creep into that, into that area. And, you know, particularly most of my, most of our folks are in, are in San Francisco and East Bay and Walnut Creek. And I'm, I'm in Santa Monica, but I'm up there all the time. And now we have 150 people in Ireland. So how do you do that? And it all comes down to, you know, it really comes down to having amazing functional leads, right? Of each, of each particular area, your CTO, CFO, chief product, but, but also having someone that is, is on a daily basis, making sure that the culture and the people are being taken care of. And that's why I wanted to, to hire a chief people officer, you know, someone that was more than just pushing benefits, uh, benefit plans and those sort and, and dealing with inbound complaints to someone that was really focused on the people and developing careers and online learning systems and, and breakout sessions. So she was, uh, she was head of HR for Andreessen's, uh, some of his companies, Netscape and Loud Cloud, and oh, nice. was head of HR for Charles Schwab. And so she was, you know, you know, when you talk to someone and meet them in an interview and like within a couple of minutes, you know, you want to hire them. Well, uh, she she was very much like that, and so really really got to the heart of it, which is culture is more about more than just pizza parties and and ping pong. You know what people really want is how can they feel good about where they go to work? How can they develop their careers? How can they develop personally? And so so we've really implemented a lot of those types of programs, and also transparency and visibility. You know doing monthly, you know, all hands, bi-monthly all hands. And the months that we don't do an all hands, we do a, you know, we do breakout sessions. I do new hands. So in between our all hands, you know, every 60 days, I will sit down with the new Yapsters, Yapstone employees that 
have joined and really go through the history, kind of like what we're doing right now, uh, respect amongst ourselves. And if and, you know, we detect that you know, a functional leader, whoever is not, you know, they could be incredibly talented, but you know, it just, it's, there's no room for anything but treating people with respect and, and just going through the story you know, looking your new folks in the eye. And luckily still as a founder and we're not, you know, we're not 10,000 people, but you know, it's getting to be, you know, pretty big. And, you know, I think as a founder, I think, uh, it, it it's, it's, it's helpful to continue to do that. Great. So, I mean, actually, I mean, thinking about it, where do you go to find a chief people officer? You know what you want already. Like, what, what was your process? You know, she actually came to us, which was interesting. And we were, we were taking a bit of a hit uh, on Glassdoor and some others. We had hired a functional lead who, as I said, you know, was not necessarily treating people with, uh, with the type of respect that we would have liked. And that trickled through the organization. So she almost took it as a contrarian play, like as a challenge, because she met the management team. It was pretty close to where she lived in the East Bay. And she had been doing some outside, really kind of uh, outside consulting, being a head of HR for hire and really wanted to really wanted to nestle back into a company. And so she did a lot of research, a ton of research before she met and said, look, I can I can help you. And we went we doubled our glass door rating from like, it was at like a three, five, it went to a two <laughs> during that time. And now it's back at four glass door. said they've never seen that kind of recovery. So I, I, you know, and we have an amazing intranet through jive. It's an incredible intranet. It's like a, you know, Facebook, but it's also got learning management systems on it. But, you know, we, we celebrate wins on it and, uh, and have a lot of fun on our intranet. Let's it's, we get a lot of engagement on it. Love it. Great. Just a couple more questions here while we work towards uh, wrapping up. So a while back, you raised $60 million in debt financing. I mean, you know, when should a company take on debt and what have you done with that so far? Yeah. So we, back a little bit earlier than that, in 2011, we raised $50 million equity from Excel Partners and from Meritech Capital. And they've both been incredible partners and unbelievably supportive uh, opened up their network, interview and help recruit people. So really amazing. And then in 2013, we raised debt and it was just happened to be just a really, really good time, super low cost of capital and de minimis, almost no dilution. Right. And so we felt that it was a, a really good time to, 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 to tap the debt markets. And one thing that I would say entrepreneurs need to be cautious about are the covenants around debt and what they allow you to do, what they allow you to don't do in terms of capital expenditures and your platform. And, you know, they, they definitely keep a, keep a close eye on They're also, you know, EBITDA or earnings covenants as well. You can't, you can't dip below a certain amount of earnings or, or, or losses by that, for that matter. And so I would be super wary or not wary, but just, just aware that those types of things exist that come with that. And, and they've got, they've become since we had a covenant light deal, but since then they're definitely watching things more closely and, and the covenants have tightened up since, since 2013. Got it. Makes sense. Final couple questions here. How is your day structured? So I typically, I typically get up at like six. I'll do some yoga and meditate, uh, which I've just recently within the last year started to do. And that's, that's really helped uh, help me focus more during the day. 
I know it's getting to be a lot more popular, but it actually works. And, um, and then I, uh, I have a, a few direct reports that I speak to on a daily basis. How many? Uh, I have, um, actually I have three and I have a president and most of the leads reporting to him with, um, some of them reporting to me, but with dotted lines to him. And because he is, he is up in Walnut Creek. It's just, it just, from a practical standpoint, it just, it just, it just makes sense. I, I don't want too many, but I also, I also talk to the, all the functional leads on, on a, on a very regular basis. So, um, I just think it's that, that communication line is, is very important. And then I'm also out talking to my customers and partners and, trying to constantly challenge my own conviction and my own, you know, Kool-Aid, right. You know, to, 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 to try to poke holes, talk to people that are in the industry. And that's something we talked about earlier, but even, you know, talking to your competitor, I'm friends with, you know, some of my competitors, right. And it's just, it's just, it's just helpful to, to talk to folks like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm really involved in new business, new partnerships, with new park marketplaces. And we also integrate with software companies that uh, provide software for particular vertical markets, whether it's medical payments or, you know, nonprofit donor software. So, so I love going out and I, I love going out on the, on the, on the pitches. That's something that, that I really enjoy. Great. I want to get your take on something. I was actually listening to a podcast the other day. Uh, and this guy is the guy that works uh, with uh, Gary Keller of, of Keller Williams, I believe. That's the company. And so, you know, what Gary said was that, you know, the, the you know, the direct reports the CEO would have, you only have up to five, right? You have three in, the, in your case. And he says there's three things that matter. One, that person needs to be damn good at recruiting. So it needs to be a talent magnet. Number two, that person in the first 90 days needs to be able to materialize $100,000 out of thin air, whether it's closed deals or save revenue, whatever it is, right? Third thing is they need to be really good at having a vision in terms of uh, what their team is going to be in the future. Do you agree or disagree with that? I absolutely agree with um, with all of that. The, the 90 days, you know, sometimes in our case, we have longer sales cycles and you know, just because we're dealing with very, very large partners, multiple million in revenue. You know, we don't really focus on any opportunities that are less than five million in revenue to us. And so so we're kind of out there elephant hunting. So that, that the only piece of that that I would probably say in our case is uh, give us 180 <laughs> or 360 for, for, uh, for, some, for some of our revenue opportunities. Got it. Final question for you. What's one must read book that you recommend to everyone? You know, I always refer back to Tony Shea's Delivering Happiness, the head of the head founder of Zappos.com. Everything starts with making sure that your employees are happy and fulfilled. And if that's happening, then everything good flows out from that. And, uh, you know, treating people as people and not as a, as a cog in the organization and actually did a tour of his uh, offices in Las Vegas. And I, I highly recommend the folks, if you have a chance to go out and do that, it's quite something. All of the, you know, all, all of the cubicles are, are very, very individually decorated. You know, you have, there's a button in the lobby that says, don't touch this, like a red button. And of course you touch it. And uh, disco ball comes down, confetti. I mean, it's uh-huh. just, you know, it's, it's just fantastic. So, 
very, very highly recommend the book. It's called Delivering Happiness, A Path to Profits, Passion, Purpose. And Love it. You know, it's, uh, it's, very, it's, it's very inspiring. It sounds like you have a lot of these processes around people, culture, and everything. I mean, do you have anything online that people might be able to download or view? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I don't know what's, I don't know what's available, but I can certainly, if, if I can post something to you, if there is, I know our, our intranet yeah. is an, is an internal piece, but if there, if there is anything, I'm happy to do it. Great. We'll drop that in the show notes as well. So I'll follow up with you on that. But Tom, this has been really good. What's the best way for people to find you online? I think I have a website. I think, uh, our, our internal PR Person Molly Reynolds has done a great job with us. Um, I, th- I think I'm at uh, Tom V I L L A N T E. We're at yapstone.com. And uh, my email address, if anyone wants to email me, is T as in Tom, V as in Victor, at yapstone, Y A P S T O N E.com. All right, Tom, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.